So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in our weakness, and we ask you to help us. Uh, you've said that you will make your strength perfect against the backdrop of our struggles. And we especially pray now that you'll help us so that we understand your word and are shaped to love and to serve Jesus more faithfully, more consistently. So work in our hearts, Lord. Uh, move away the things that would keep us from responding to you. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this week, Debbie and I heard the uh, Air Force Rhythm and Blues Jazz Band down at the Miller Center. And um, I ended up sitting down in the front row. Uh, it was a very good seat. Uh, next to a couple that um, are from Pottstown. Young couple, they just bought a fruit farm, uh, got 20 acres, and I think to myself, ooh, I don't want to leave my preaching hat at the door. How can I influence this conversation and so I began asking questions you know and uh, eventually I got around to this one what is it you like most about your church and my friend was on the verge of answering my question and then it was time for the concert bummer but after it was over I looked at her and I said What's your answer? And I got one of those deer in the headlights kind of responses. And then in a somewhat questioning way, she said, well, we believe in the resurrection. Uh, almost um, apologetically. Now, I didn't have any more time to talk to her. She was out the door. I even thought to myself, I should have brought a business card, but I didn't have one with me. If the life of Christ had ended in his death, it would have been nothing exceptional, right? Uh, I mean, all human biographies end that way. And so the picture would have been of Jesus, very exceptional character, made amazing claims, very sincere. Even so, it would have ended with a sense of frustration. One commentator puts it like this. His claims would have been negated. His aspirations would have been unrealized. His teachings would have seemed too lofty to be true. And so the major difference between Jesus and any other great teacher lies in the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead and all others did not. In the chapter we just read, John doesn't focus on material proofs for the resurrection. He's not trying to uh, show us evidence that would pass the uh, 21st century scientific evaluation. He's not doing that. He just assumes that Jesus did rise from the dead, and then he goes on from there to show us how that fact, how that truth, shaped 
the lives of those who are touched by it. And so in reading this chapter, we hear about Mary Magdalene, Peter, the beloved disciple, other disciples. We're going to restrict our focus this morning to Thomas, doubting Thomas. And that section begins in verse 24. And then we'll go on and look at the conclusion in verses 30 and 31. What do we find when we look at the life of Thomas? He comes to believe in Jesus. That's the bare bones facts of it. He's in this narrative because of his confession. And we might think about his words as a climax to all that's gone before in that chapter and really all that's gone before in the whole book of John. We might also view his confession as representative of the other disciples that are mentioned here. Now, uh, honestly, we don't know very much about Thomas. Uh, his name in Aramaic means twin, Didymus. Um, we can say Thomas seems loyal and outspoken and rather pessimistic. He's uncertain about the future, but he is also closely attached to Jesus. In this snapshot of him, he's not around the other disciples on the first day of the week, though we know that he had contact with them as that week transpired. So please look at verse 25. What do we find there? Well, it begins, this, this is the English rendering of it now. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, and a better translation of that would be, the other disciples kept on telling him, we have seen the Lord. It's a verb of repeated action. So uh, Thomas doesn't hear this idea of the resurrection just once. It comes to him again and again. But he is obstinate. And what does he say? Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will not believe. He was so sure Jesus had died that he wouldn't pay any attention to reports to the contrary. And we might also say, just on the side, uh, that his refusal is proof that resurrection appearances were not wishful thinking. Well, now look at verse 26, please. Eight days later, this means that Jesus appeared again and appeared to Thomas one week after his resurrection, eight days later. The disciples had stayed in Jerusalem. They're behind locked doors. They're afraid of the Jews who say, why so? Well, the disciples had firsthand knowledge of how religious zealots can persecute people who oppose them. Look at Jesus. For some reason, we're not told why Thomas wasn't with them at the time. Maybe he had somewhat recovered from the shock of Jesus' death, and now he's willing to engage with them again. But there he is. And so we have a repeat of performance. See it? Uh, Jesus appears again, much as he did 
the first time back in verses 19 and following. Uh, for a third time, he says to the disciples, peace be with you. I mean, Jesus must have really surprised Thomas. In verse 27, he repeats almost verbatim what Thomas had said in verse 25 to the disciples when they said Jesus had been raised. Back then, he's with the other disciples. At this point, Jesus isn't around and Thomas is expressing doubt. Back then, Thomas is expressing doubts. And so notice, please, how kind Jesus is. We might all take a page from his notebook. He doesn't criticize Thomas, but invites him to take his own test. Do you see it there in verse 27? What's he say? Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Jesus is saying, stop being an unbeliever and become a believer. And so Thomas has to make a choice. He has to decide if he will be faithless or faithful. And there's no middle ground. Nor is Jesus asking Thomas to believe without verification. He's calling on him to believe based on what the other disciples had seen. And beyond that, he's asking him, physically touch me, Thomas. Look at my wounds. In other words, Jesus is offering Thomas exactly what he had demanded. Well, what's he do? Look at verse 28. First of all, he turns down Jesus' offer to touch him. See it? Instead, he responds to the challenge, don't be faithless but believing. Jesus has said here, make a personal test. And Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. It's informative, I think, to consider what Thomas meant when he uttered that confession. Now, just think about this a little bit. Practicing Jews believed in only one God. They're monotheists. To call a person God was nothing short of blasphemy for them. But right now, in light of the resurrection, he applies two titles to Jesus, Lord, God, both, which are titles of deity. In his confession, Thomas is saying that to believe in God and to believe in Jesus amounts to the same thing. Scholars note that throughout the Gospels, Jesus isn't very enthusiastic about confessions of faith in him. Now, there is one notable exception, remember? Uh, Peter uh, says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who's in heaven. In this case with Thomas, Jesus does offer a blessing, and, let, and yet it is not a blessing on Thomas. See it? Verse 29, he says, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Nor should we take what Jesus is saying as somehow rebuking Thomas. He's like others who believed because they saw. Uh, John believes back at the beginning of the gospel. The witness who is there when the spear is thrust into the side of Jesus, he believes. Mary Magdalene believes. We just saw that. And the other disciples did too. We saw that in this chapter. Jesus is saying there will be others who will not have an opportunity to see me after my resurrection as you have, Thomas. So what Thomas says in this last confession of faith, uh, what Thomas says is the last confession of faith in the gospel. And as such, it marks something of a climax in the whole book. It shows us Christ as the risen Lord who is victorious over sin and over sorrow and over doubt and over death. And this is what faith in Christ does. It changes the entire direction of a person's life. Recently, Debbie and I met some new friends, uh, one named Mike, and he began sharing his story. He said that he'd had severe back pain, uh, so he could hardly move. And the Lord used that to move him to faith in Christ. He said, there I was, almost helpless. What could I do? He said, the only thing that occurred to me to do was pray. And within a, in minutes, his prayer was answered. The pain was gone. And it happened to him that way more than once. What we've done is looked at Thomas and his response to Jesus. I want to ask you, what is your response to Jesus? I mean, when we gather for Easter, it's not just to come and have a nice brunch together and sing happy songs. We want what the gospel has to say to penetrate us. And so I'm asking you, what is your response to Jesus when Jesus says, don't be faithless, but believe? Have you come to the place in your life where you would say with Thomas of Jesus, my Lord, my God? Well, that brings us to John's conclusion. Please look at verses 30 and 31 now. These two verses are really the wrap-up of the whole gospel. Uh, they lay out its strategy. They lay out, lay out its subject. They lay out its purpose. Uh, what's John's strategy as he writes this book? Well, it's to use a series of Jesus' works that demonstrate his character and his power and relate him then to human need like the needs that you're feeling right now. The intent is to take all this and relate it 
a human need. And the subject, well, that's the gospel. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's being presented as Messiah and as the Son of God. And so notice what John writes here. These are written that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. Of course, the question then is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do you, through believing, have life in his name? To take a page from Thomas's book, he had to decide if he was going to be faithful or faithless. There's no middle ground. And so I'm asking you now, on April 9, 2023, what is your decision about Christ? I can't think of a more important question to answer. June 18... 1815. Any historians here who know what that, why that date's important? I know, you missed it. Okay, June 18, 1815. Anybody know? Glenn? No. Oh. It was a momentous day for the peoples of Europe. The climactic Battle of Waterloo. Napoleon against the Duke of Wellington. Ah, oh, of course you remember that. The fate of history seemed to hang in the balance of this battle. And news from the battlefront, well, it would be translated, now they're fighting in France, it would be translated across the English Channel, signal lamps from a church cathedral's bell tower. They would pass on the message. Englishmen waited with bated breath. And we now know the, the message that was sent to them. Wellington defeated the enemy. Uh, unlike text exchanges, though, that message took time. And the fog rolled in after the first two words were sent. Wellington defeated is all that came through. Crowd of onlookers slowly dispersed, dejected expressions on their faces. With this crushing news, the nation panicked and the stock market crashed. The crowd of onlookers, well, it took three days before the fog lifted and the whole message was transmitted Wellington defeated the enemies. Despair became delight. The message of joy spread like wildfire. John wrote this that we just read and we just explained. John wrote this so that you would get the whole message, not part of it. The resurrection changes everything. And so to believe in Jesus as Christ and as the Son of God means 
wherever your spiritual journey has taken you up to this point. To believe in Jesus Christ at this moment means a brand new beginning. And I'm here to tell you, it's the best. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless it to us. Encourage us by this reminder that Jesus is alive. We ask these mercies in his name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing one more song, and it is numbered 286. If you want to use your songbook, let's stand together.